0: Painter Marketing Pros and APC.
1: Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series, titled The Birth of a Giant... Brad Ellison of Ellison Painting will be discussing what it looks like to start a professionalized and profitable painting company from day one. It is a four-part series. In this episode, episode one, we will be discussing Brad's decision to walk away from his previous partnership and the assets he found available to him. In episode two, Brad will dive into what it looks like to launch a highly professionalized painting company from scratch. In episode three, Brad will discuss how to effectively build systems and processes that create a roadmap for future success. And in the final episode, episode four, Brad will elaborate on what it looks like to scale a painting company, both in terms of mindset and concrete steps. If you want to ask Brad questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so on our exclusive painter marketing mastermind podcast forum on Facebook. Just search for painter marketing mastermind podcast forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash painter marketing mastermind again that url is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash painter marketing mastermind there you can ask brad questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company brad is a returned guest from season two of the painter marketing mastermind podcast brad thank you for agreeing to return to the show and conduct this series for
2: us Bro, I am so happy to be here. And uh, I might have to remind you that wasn't I your very first guest ever. So you don't actually, talk to me wait. about season two. I was number one, baby.
1: Yeah, we're we're basically counting counting all the webinars that we conducted with the PCA as season one. So season two was the first with the with the guests, and you were number one of season two.
2: Oh, there we go. Okay, great. Yeah. Perfect.
1: You you were the OG, which was awesome because you were the original and also kind of not awesome because the quality wasn't quite as good as we kind of got it dialed in those first few episodes so it's good that you're back and we're doing a whole series with you
2: we're upgrading baby i'm here for it we're
1: upgrading you bought a new computer for this
2: new only computer. the only only the best for you brando you know i've been uh, interviewed by a number of people for their podcasts and you're still one of my faves to talk to well,
1: i appreciate it brother yeah. yeah i'm i'm excited for it you're definitely in a unique situation mm-hmm. um super unique do you want to just go ahead and kind of provide a, a an overview here
2: yeah, so I mean, do you want me to talk about like just my background within the trade, or just kind of what I'm doing? Let's now?
1: start with kind of this whole series. So this four part series. What mm-hmm. what are we? What what is this? Um, you know, what is it? The birth of a giant. What is this going to be mm-hmm. about?
2: Um, I I hope it's going to be uh, informative for those who, like me, were working at one at one point for someone else and with someone else. And follow kind of the step-by-step process of me realizing that maybe I need to go out on my own, and had that opportunity all the way through launching and scaling a successful painting mark or uh, painting business.
1: Nice. So it's it's someone who who's working with someone, partnered with someone, involved in the in the painting company in some way, and basically starting from scratch. How do you how do you accelerate and and really succeed from? And obviously it's applicable to a lot of people who have their own companies, mm-hmm. but still want to look at someone like you. And we'll get into some of these metrics later, but you've had an impressive run uh, in your first not even year mm-hmm. to date. And how can someone kind of try to match or, or get closer to that speed?
2: 100%.
1: All right. Well, in this episode one, it's we're, we've called it breaking up is hard to do. Let's let's get some of your background, how you got into the trade and, and kind of, I guess, your, your partnership, what you were doing before this.
2: Mm-hmm. So anyone that has listened to me on your shows, some of this is going to be repetitive, right? But um, I definitely think it's uh, it's worth repeating now. So my background is um, in sales and marketing. I started my sales career when I was 24. I was selling life insurance for uh, an agency locally here in, in Metro Detroit, Michigan. Uh, that was my first uh, kind of foray into sales. I had Started a window washing company my my second year in college and had a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit in me. But this was my first career type position where I was making, you know, what we would consider real money. And I had a lot of success at it. Actually, my very first month out at that agency, I was the number one agent in the state. So there's about 60 oh, wow. agents. And I went out and outsold everyone my first month. And that continued on for the, the four and a half years that I was there. I, you know, I was agent of the month more often than I wasn't. Um, but ultimately, be, it was a lot of work, 70 hour work week, and um, was very unfulfilling. It, was, it wasn't good for my personal life outside of work. So I ultimately decided to walk away. Um, coincidentally, when I walked away it was right in the, the midst of that 2008 economic downturn. So the money that I had been making had dried up pretty significantly. It made that decision to walk away a lot easier. And so, for a few years, I you know was bouncing around. I actually ran a marketing agency for for a few years, did sales um, for them, and ultimately was one of their strategic leaders. Uh, bounced around to a software company um, and then ultimately when my wife and I got married, we decided to stop working for other people and launch our own business. And the logical uh, logical step, logical business for us was to get back into insurance because that's what I knew best. So we launched a health insurance agency uh, about six, six years ago. Yeah. So right after we got married. Yeah. So a little over six years ago. And um, if you know anything about the insurance business, it's very seasonal. So you only sell insurance really during open enrollment, which is only three months a year. It was three months a year at the time. So we were left with the with the question, okay, well, what do we do for the other nine months a year? We, you know, we made a lot of money in that first season selling selling health insurance, but it wasn't enough to really live the lifestyle that we wanted or provide the opportunities for growth that we you know really needed within our business. So we prayed about it and we thought, you know, well, maybe we could find some sort of seasonal sales job for me where I still we're still running the insurance agency, but I couldn't sell something else for someone else during the uh, during the off season. And so we prayed about it Uh, the next morning we went to church and ran into someone that had done our, our premarital counseling. He and his wife had had mentored my wife and I, and we said, Hey, you know, we're new to this campus uh, for our church. We don't know anyone here, but we're looking for some sort of sales job. And he, his face kind of dropped. And he said, some dude, I don't even know, came up to me this morning and said, you look like the type of guy that knows sales guys. I'm looking for someone to help me sell for my painting business. So he walked me over, uh, introduced me to this fellow who uh, became my business partner for five years. Uh, He hired me basically on the spot to be a sales guy for him. We became 50-50 partners a couple years in, and that's how I ended up in the industry. I have no painting experience. I had a lot of sales and management experience. Uh, I knew I could sell pretty much anything, and it it seemed to be a pretty easy transition to sell painting services, but that's it. Uh, I know a lot of guys start working for their dad or working for their uncle or working for their friend. I have zero painting experience, and even now, six years in, I have not painted professionally.
1: Man, that's crazy. So... That's quite the very background. It's definitely not uh, the typical painting company owner's background, um, mm-hmm. what you're describing here. But I also think it it created a unique skill set for you, which we'll get into. But I guess talk talk a little bit about you you started this partnership. How did that go? How long were you there? What was your role? Let's kind of figure out what your life was like there,
2: yeah. so when we when I had my first interview with my former partner, uh, I made it very clear that I wasn't interested in just being a painting salesperson right uh, if if we were going to work together, the goal for me would be that I would eventually own his company, and you know he was in his sixties and he was looking for an exit plan, so he said, "Yeah, yeah, you know within a couple of years i'll uh, I'll be ready to step aside, and then I'll sell you the company said, okay, so uh we started and I started out just as sales as I was learning the business, and within about a year, I was essentially kind of running the show, I was running all the strategy, I was managing the employees um and after the second year, we actually entered into uh, a management agreement where we were, started to operate as 50-50 partners. So that meant like, my compensation was the exact same compensation as his, but I really was responsible to run the whole show. His his responsibility was to continue to actually write the checks and, and pay the bills uh, and do sales. And outside of that, everything else was my responsibility. So yeah, we did that for... Um, another two and a half years, um, we were coming close to the uh, kind of the end of that management contract and where I could, where I had the opportunity to execute the purchase agreement and buy the company. Things that happened. I don't know, Brandon, if you remember back in 2020, when the world shut down because of that thing called COVID. We were you around for that? vaguely
1: remember. Vague. You remember
2: that? Okay. So yeah. <laughs> that, that hurt our business. Like it did a lot. Uh, people got real nervous about having people come into their home and work around their home. So business dropped a little bit. We also had another kind of profit vertical within our business that he was in charge of that kind of disappeared uh, after we had signed our, our the delayed purchase agreement. And so the value of the business was no longer what it was uh, at the time that we agreed to buy it. Right. So we tried to renegotiate, and um, you know, our still our goal to buy the company that was still our plan, but things kind of fell apart. And ultimately he said, uh, you know, it's either the original deal or it's no deal. And so we had to make the hard decision to say, okay, well, you know, then it's no deal and I'm going to be leaving. And that was that, um, it wasn't expected. It was, everything happened kind of very quickly. Um, but I think that my wife and I, one of our strengths is being able to adapt and, uh, react in situations in a positive manner. And so we we reacted, and now here we are. That was that was in March, and as we record this right now, it's November. So really, it's eight months ago that I was running someone else's company.
1: Yeah, man, that's insane. Yeah, I remember um, mm-hmm. at at Nick Slavik's Ask a Painter Live went to retreat. This was something that you were struggling with, and brought up and and solicited a lot of feedback on. So I want to make sure that everyone listening understands it. It was not an easy decision for you. You know, this was- it was one of
2: the most difficult. I mean, we we loved and respected um, my partner and his wife so much, and we were so appreciative of the opportunities that they had given us. Uh, not that we didn't create a lot of the opportunities ourselves, but I mean, he did build the business and he handed the reins over to me. And we really wanted them to feel honored in in the whatever decision we came to, do, whether we were buying it or whether we were leaving, we wanted to honor them and so it was very very difficult and you you would know better than anyone because you were there you know during those during those talks where i'm trying to figure out you know do i should i move forward how, if if not if i want to renegotiate how do i present that to him so that he understands that i'm coming from a position of good faith and goodwill but ultimately understanding that i had to make the best decision for me and my family
1: and when you said that there was a, a another profit vertical that really went downhill you're basically referring to another stream of income Outside of just painting,
2: yes, a very profitable vertical. We had a, a siding vertical that um, uh, was profitable, and that that disappeared shortly after we signed our contract. And so that profit, one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year profit, just kind of disappeared.
1: Yeah, that that obviously affects valuation, right? Yeah, sure. So I want to obviously some of this data is is confidential, right? Needs mm-hmm. that, not everything can be revealed here, but keeping that in mind, I would like to sort of discuss. Your thoughts on valuation disagreements, and really, how do you even go about valuing a painting company?
2: So, I think the most common method within our industry um, that I've that I've uncovered and have been has had I've had this confirmed by some painter friends of ours. the uh, The easiest way is to simply take the net profit of a business, uh, and you have a, a multiplier. And the multiplier might change based on how old the business is, whether you have subcontractors or employees, whether you have you know an office and real estate and everything else. But uh, just for easy math, you could say a three x multiplier is what we were using, which means that you know if you have a a six hundred thousand dollars a year revenue business and after paying yourself and paying your uh, your painters and your office staff and everything else, if you have a fifteen percent net profit, that's ninety thousand dollars. you multiply that by three, and hypothetically, your company might be worth two hundred and seventy thousand dollars if you tried to buy it. Now, the reality is it's only worth what someone's willing to pay and for smaller companies like that, if someone were to buy a six hundred thousand dollar a year company, it may not be that valuable unless the founder stays on as the owner operator, right? Otherwise, someone's just buying a business and then stepping in, and now they it's just a job right? It might be a high paying job, a decent paying job. But the uh, there's going to be some people that will not buy a business unless it's totally sustainable without their direct involvement. And some people are looking for a business, like I was actually, where I could step in and run it and be the, the key person.
1: Right. And so do you think, let's stick with the $600,000 example. Mm-hmm. Do you think that most painting company owners overvalue, uh, undervalue, or have a, a pretty good idea of what the value of their company is?
2: I mean, I would say most people overvalue their business, right? And that was the issue that we ran into with with my partner is that he had never had a valuation done. Um, he hadn't really looked into what a company would be valued at, and so when I made my first offer, it was very, very different than what he was hoping for, uh, and not even really what he's hoping for. He needed there's a certain amount of money that he needed in order to retire, and that number was a lot higher than we would be willing to pay. So I would say I would say some people I would say most most painting company owners probably overvalue. Uh, and then there's other people, other owners that don't even have never even thought about whether they have an asset or not, right? And there is something that they're building that that has equity, that has value, and then it just disappears, and they they miss out on the opportunity to, you know cash out a bit, maybe if they're ready to be done.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really important. I think that, you know, people get so attached to their businesses, they forget that, Hey, you could actually, if you set the right systems up and do this the right way, Mm -hmm. you could actually sell this one day. Sure. Well, do you have any advice? And I don't want to go too deep into this, but do you have any advice for uh, people listening who maybe do want to make their company sellable? What can they do? What makes a painting company more sellable?
2: I kind of mentioned it already, right? It's, it's having everything fully uh, systemized or systematized.
1: I think it's systematized.
2: I hear both, and I don't want to be the guy that doesn't I, know
1: I think maybe you can actually say I know systematize is correct I'm, I'm almost positive i think I think you can do both. I think whatever I'm word good.
2: is accurate, that's the one I'm using, okay right. They need to do that yeah. uh, as far as si- systems around um, uh, organizational systems, right so do they have do they have administrative staff that keeps? keeps things moving for lead intake and marketing outflow and everything in between? Do they have sales systems? Are their sales systems teachable and repeatable? Uh, Do they have painters? I mean, if it's just a dude and his brother that's painting, they they could generate $600,000 a year in revenue. That'd be incredible if if they did. Uh, But if it's just the two of them, does that company have any value? no. I mean, cause you're going to sell it. They're going to stop working. And now the company is virtually worthless unless they have a bunch of repeating contractors, something. Um, so systems, employees, obviously have real estate equipment, any, any tangible assets would increase the value of a business. Uh, I work in the subcontractor space, as you know. So a lot of that would be a little bit harder for me to create real value. Every, everything on the, on the back end so all of the the sales organization marketing all that would need to be um highly systematized in order to create real value within our industry
1: because you you're saying that so you guys employ subcontractors for your fulfillment and you're saying that you think the value would be higher potentially if those were all w-2 employees that came with the company
2: i would i would guess that's the case a guy like you know jason paris would have a better answer for that since he you know his business focuses a lot on valuation of other companies um that makes sense to me, doesn't it? Make sense to you?
1: Yeah, that no, you, it does. It does. Yeah. We're actually, um, but
2: there's there's other difficulties. You got employees. It's a lot. It's a lot harder to scale. Um, sure. There's there's a lot of benefits to having employees. There's a lot of benefits to using subcontractors.
1: Sure. All right. Well, let's uh, let's kind of dive into you know your decision to walk away, right? So uh, mm-hmm. up to this point, we figured out your background was obviously varied, um, mm-hmm. very sales, marketing, very different from most people who are in this space, and then you you found a fit. Um, things went a little south with COVID and, and, a you know, the siding vertical and then the, the amount of capital that your partner required, um, just didn't really mesh with what you felt the company was then worth at mm-hmm. that point. You, mm-hmm. you then were facing a difficult decision of, Hey, do I, do I kind of stick this or do I just start off on my own? Which is obviously mm-hmm. a little scarier, um, even for a confident guy like yourself, that's always a scary leap to make. So how are you looking at that?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, there. I was looking at it from from two different things, and when we're trying to decide what our approach should be or what our next move is going to be, we asked ourselves, like, what, you know, why, why couldn't or shouldn't we do it, and why could or should we do it? So, if we start at, you know, what, why couldn't we do it? I would say a lot of it came down to limiting beliefs. Um, I had no painting experience. Was I, was I running a successful company in spite of that? Uh, were people working for my my old company because of my partner's background and his experience? Right, were we was I just basically borrowing his clout and able to run in in order to run his business? Um, I thought that could be an issue for me. Um, quite frankly, I was making a lot of money working for him. It was it was more money than I would ever made before, and if you if you told thirteen-year-old me that I'd be making this amount of money and living this type of life, and you're considering walking away from it, thirteen-year-old me would have kicked you in the shins and said, "Don't be an idiot!" Right? So that was—I I, I had become comfortable. It was—it was not a very hard job. Things were running smoothly. Uh, we had office staff to handle all the stuff that I didn't want. I was—I was working like twenty to twenty-five hours a week, making a really good income. Um, so it was kind of a hurdle there. Like, am I willing to walk away from this? in order to, and risk it all for something else. Um, and then along those same lines, it was the, how long might it take me to actually make some money? We had been saving up some money, right? Was I going to burn through all of my savings uh, and maybe would have to cash in some retirement accounts in order to, to survive while I launch a company? These are all things that were like pretty terrifying to me. And I'm, sure. I am, um, I am not risk averse. Wait, am I risk averse? I don't mind risk. I will take risk. I will risk everything. And even at that point, it's like, it's different. You got, I got two kids. I got a wife, I got a mortgage. We have long-term plans and hopes for our family. And those were all the things that were like, ah, maybe I had to suck it up. And maybe I just overpay for this business just to stay a little more comfortable. So that's where I was on that end.
1: So how did you, you know, you said you're not risk averse, so you're willing to take risk, but obviously you yeah. have to factor in, kids, um, you know, wife, your future plan I mean, you don't want to, you don't want to watch it all burn down because you're right. a little too aggressive with something. Mm-hmm. How did you get, how did you get comfortable with the, with making the decision to walk away from all that?
2: I would say, I would say two ways. The first is that I, I've lost everything before. You know, when I left the insurance business, we, I lost my condo, I lost my house, I lost everything. Uh, a few years after that, I lost my, uh, my family, you know, I don't want to get too personal, but like I was married before and, Um, When me and my ex-wife separated, I lost everything. The company I was working for was owned by a guy from my church. And so I got fired. Uh, I got kicked out of the church. Most of my friends were from the church. I lost all my friends. I'd lost everything before and came out better on the other side. So that gives me a pretty healthy perspective uh, that like losing everything is really not like everything you can, you can recover, but it was different because back then when I lost everything, it was just me. And so I got a dog and I started to rebuild. And now, and then I met Rachel and everything changed. Right. Uh, but it was best
1: friend, man's best friend. That's right. Got your therapy dog and you were back at it.
2: You know, what's funny is that I'm not like a, I'm not like a big drinker, a big partier. I'm not, I'm very social, but I'm like, I don't have like a lot of those vices for me. It was, I, I knew when I was living by myself that if I didn't have some reason to come home at the end of the day, I was going to like go waste all my money, getting dinner every night and like just going to spend money, doing other stuff. And I didn't have a bunch of money to to waste. So it was actually like, Hey, I should get a dog so that I have really reason- partner yeah, for real. That's what it was. It was yeah. a cheap, cheap and fun accountability partner. Um, So that was the first thing is that I have lost everything. I wasn't too scared of losing everything again. But the second thing that really empowered me was, was Rachel was my wife. She, she is such a great partner, um, not only in our marriage, but in our family and in our business. And so she, she believes in me and she believes in us. And as a couple, our, our power, our resiliency. And so she, she was like, listen, babe, if, if this is the right move, then let's just do it. Let's jump and let's have a plan. Right. And she wanted, she's, she wants to know the plan before I, you know, pull the trigger on something like that. But we, I, I had a plan And we said, all right, we're just going to jump. And we did it. So that was it. I had lost it all before. And I had a wife that was incredibly supportive.
1: I love it, man. Yeah. You said something there that's really, really powerful. Losing everything is not really losing everything. You can get it back. It is powerful. I I
2: think that most, most people that have lost everything realize afterwards that they really didn't have everything, right? There's every. You you can lose material things. You can lose your friends. You can lose a lot of things, and you can still come out way better on the back end. I'm I'm yeah. evidence of that for sure.
1: That's awesome, man. So yeah. you you said Rachel's on board. She's supportive. You believed mm-hmm. in yourself. She believed in you. So you you had the thing, the support system, and internal belief you needed. But she wanted a plan. So yeah. let's kind of get into what that plan looked like and and what maybe assets you felt that you had.
2: Yeah. So that that gets into then like what. What made me think that I could be successful. Right. And so there's a few things I would point to there. Um, the first is that I've over the past couple of years developed this incredible network of painters, uh, meaning actual guys that in my area that paint, and that could be potential laborers for us, uh, the first first way I found those and established that connect that group that network was through the painting contractors Facebook group, and that's where you and I first nice. actually um, kind of yeah. met. Right, it's this huge Facebook group. I think when Tanner Mullen invited me to the group, maybe there were a hundred members or something, and now last time I checked, there was one hundred forty five thousand. And yeah, and he may I'm an administrator in there, so I have the opportunity to have you know admin next to my name and group expert, and so when someone asks a question and I respond, or when I post something, there's automatically some clout there. People, people see that. And so if I were to go, if I were to go on that group and make a post looking for subcontractors in Metro Detroit, I will get some responses. And I know that because I do it. Right. So I I had this network of painters kind of at my disposal. Um, And also I had a very supportive uh, Sherwin Williams uh, local connections that they were already referring me subcontractors to my previous employer. I was confident that they would refer subcontractors to me if at my new company if I launched because they know how well we treat the people that work with us. Right, We treat them as our partners. Um, I would say the second thing, and maybe this is the most powerful of, of the three that I'm going to mention, is a, a network of contractor friends. So these are people that I look to... Um, Jason Paris and Nick Slavic and Matt and Maggie Kuyper, uh, uh, all the people that were at Nick Slavic's winter retreat and people that I've met through, through the PCA and at the expo, those people, w- before I went to the retreat, I thought that the company I was running was the biggest company in the country. We had figured everything out. No one was doing it better than us. And then, you know, then I meet Jason Paris and his company, I think that year was going to do $10 million in revenue. And I met Jason Phillips down in Texas and his company was going to do $14 million in revenue. And they were doing what we did, but at a, a way, way higher caliber. And so meeting all those people really opened my eyes to think, wow, there's there's other ways to do this. There's better ways to do this. And turns out all these people that I've mentioned are, happen to be the most generous people that I've ever met because they've given me all of their, not only their ideas, but literally their marketing collateral. When I launched Ellison Painting, uh, I didn't have any before or after pictures because we had never painted a house and I didn't, I wasn't going to take pictures from my previous company, right? Cause that's yeah. their stuff. That and so uh, I asked Matt and Maggie, Hey, uh, this might be weird, but can I have some before and after pictures to post on my website? And they're like, yeah, of course. And like within an hour, Maggie had sent me a whole folder, whole that's Google right. drive of before and after pictures. And and they've all, they all sent me their work orders and their, their scope of work and their uh, uh, all their SOPs. And I was able to build everything for Ellison painting through, through my network of friends that were giving sacrificially though, giving sacrificially, is kind of a weird term because that means that they were losing something by giving it to me. And they They weren't right. Them helping me out doesn't cost them anything. I would say giving generously, giving selflessly. They had put work into developing things and they were just giving it to me for free. And, uh, so that's been, that's been the number one. And if you, if you guys come to the expo in February, I'm going to be, I've been invited to speak there as well. And one of the topics I'm going to be speaking on is that this idea of having friends is better than having ideas right so you don't need to be creative if you have friends that have already been creative and already solved all your problems and are going to give you all the answers before you have to fail yourself right so that's the second thing so the network of painters the network of my contractor friends who were giving um very generously and then my third thing is just you know my skill set i am entrepreneurial by nature I am very good at responding to to issues, uh, but along the same lines, I'm very good at e- expecting what issues might be, so that we can avoid them to begin with. So my my sales skills, my marketing skills, um, organizational strategy I think is a strength of mine. I think my skill set is is very suited to starting a business. Now it may turn out in the long term that my skill set is not suited to scaling a business. And Jason Paris talks about this, right? He thinks he's he's a great business starter, but he's not. he may not be the greatest CEO, which is why he doesn't run Paris Painting. And he doesn't even run all of Holdings. He has other people taking those strategic roles so that he can fit in his niche and focus on the things that he does best. So yeah, I think the this, this skill set was, was there for me to launch quickly and have a, a really high uh, chance for success.
1: Yeah, so I just want to recap that. That was a lot. So mm-hmm. as you Sorry. were, <laughs> no, it's great, man. I just want to make sure we 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 summarize it. Um, as you were looking to leave, what made you felt confident that you could do it was number one, you had this this network of painting subcontractors that you could tap into, and you had the Cloud and Authority and a Facebook group to get more. Mm-hmm. Uh, number and then Sherwin Williams got a rep helping you there as well. So you had a couple different basically feeder pools into mm-hmm. that. Number two, you had a a network of contractor friends in the industry that were farther ahead than you who had already built a lot of these processes and sops and, and were willing to help you essentially and mm-hmm. almost coach you for free. Um and then number three is is really specific to you. Based mm-hmm. on your background, your skill set, your personality, you feel that that you can get it done in the beginning. You have the right skill set, you're entrepreneurial to hustle and make that work,
2: yeah, and i I'll, let me add let me add a fourth one, but with a little bit of a caveat. I think you can do what i've I've done and what I'm doing with either time or money or some combination of both. I am admittedly very, very, very fortunate that Rachel and I had been saving money because I think that I launched my company with far more to invest than almost any other painting company. Uh, in the history of of the U.S., <laughs> right? I mean, most we. I'm, I'll I'll just tell you, we had about two hundred thousand yeah. dollars cash ready to yeah. go. Yeah, most painters won't ever save two hundred thousand dollars, and we had it saved that we had saved it up before we launched, so that allowed me to dive in and. Um, you know, and we'll probably talk about this in the next episode, but I, I had the money saved up to spend on marketing and, and pay employees and, and live off of savings for a while so that I could continue to invest more money into the business as we grew. And so you, you can do what I'm doing with, without the money, but that definitely gave me a lot more confidence. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm like, okay, say we have, we have $200,000. Say I blow a hundred grand in six months. And for some reason, Ellison painting is crashing and burning. Okay. I walk away. We still have hundred thousand dollars in the bank and I can, Rachel and I can try to find other jobs, but we, we also have our health insurance business that is highly profitable as well. So it's like there was, even if we failed miserably, failed spectacularly, we would have been fine. Yes. So having the money gave us a little confidence, but as we've already mentioned a couple of times, even if I didn't have the money, I just wasted six months of my time. You can start over doing something else and you can survive.
1: Yeah. Well, you wasted six months and you also walked away from a really, what, what most people would say is a really sweet situation. Mm-hmm. We don't have to work much and make a lot of money, but yeah. I super, super appreciate you laying that out there, right? Because mm-hmm. so often people come on a podcast or give give speeches or whatever, and it, and it will be this, they don't always lay everything out in terms mm-hmm. of their advantages or or they had certain things. And I know even for myself, I've been frustrated at times listening and I'm like, well, how did they do this? Or why, why weren't they afraid of that? Or, well, I can't hire a whole sales team. And you just mm-hmm. saying that right there is just so helpful, right? For people listening to know that. Um, well, I've said,
2: part- I've, I've, I've said it countless times is that no one has started a painting company with more advantages than I had. Yeah. Right. Well, you
1: laying them out though is huge, sure. is yeah. huge. But I want to ask you, so the, you know, let's kind of go through, through one to four here, right? Mm-hmm. I think number two. In terms of having a a network of contractor friends, I think that's probably the easiest to fix for anyone, right? Plug into the PCA network. What do you think about number two? Let's start with that one.
2: Is it the easiest? Um, I think it's the it, it's the easiest for people like me, and it's easiest for people like you. Uh, I think that there's a and that's
1: just because we're really good looking, or
2: well, you're really good looking. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a five foot seven troll. Uh, uh, you're a
1: CrossFit God, man.
2: Yeah, whatever. Um, I, I guess what I mean by that is I, I don't, I don't, I never viewed anyone within the painting industry as a competitor and there is, but there is a mindset within our industry that if someone were to, to give away their quote unquote secrets, which by the way, none of us really have any real trade secrets. We're all doing the same yep. thing, just a little bit differently. Uh, you give away those secrets and it's going to cost you um, or it's going to help someone at your expense. And what 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 I've seen and what I'm seeing on a daily basis is that it's simply not true. I have a, I have a guy named um, Nick Kelly. You might know him as Nick Joe uh, online. He owns a company called uh, Elite Pro and they're like, literally he lives... 10 minutes away from me, right? We operate in the same cities, but we talk all the time. And when I needed uh, before and after pictures of interior jobs for the season for our marketing, and I didn't have any, he sent me some. Right. Yeah, Literally, we are targeting the exact same people. But it doesn't matter because he's growing. I'm growing. We're helping each other. It's brilliant. So I think that to answer your question, it should be easy. It should be the resources are there, whether it be through the PCA, through these various Facebook groups. The people that have the most and the most valuable knowledge within our industry also appear to be the ones that most freely give that information away for free. Yeah. so establishing that network um, you may not they may not establish these close friendships like Rachel and I have like i want i want to move to nashville so matt and maggie can be best friends with me and Rachel right the, so you they may not have those really close interpersonal relationships like we've we've formed with other people in the industry but you can certainly establish the relationships with the people, uh, a certain t- types of relationship with people that they will share that information. So you don't have to build everything from scratch. So yes, you are correct. It was very long winded to say. It's, it's very difficult for some people because they, they have, you know, they live with clenched fists and they can't yeah. imagine people giving freely. And if someone is giving freely, they got to be expecting something in return. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a big problem in general with, with entrepreneurs and business owners, but painting industry especially, mm-hmm. call it kind of old school in that regard. That scarcity mm-hmm. mindset, you know, slash your competitors' tires. Right. <laughs> Abundance oriented, collaborative mindset. Yeah, yeah. So that, no, that's an important point. Um, number one. So mm-hmm. the the subcontractors they don't they they don't already have all these connections. Maybe they're a little smaller than you. That they're not an admin in this Facebook group. What can they do to improve their odds there?
2: Well, number one is hopefully they have a solid relationship with a Sherwin-Williams rep. Um, and if they've proven themselves to be reliable, professional, and high integrity, there's no reason why their Sherwin rep or their, um, uh, their local store managers wouldn't want to refer potential subcontractors to them. Um, and the, the benefit to that is you know, if I, find a, if I find a potential crew on Facebook, I don't know anything about them. Right. All I know is that they're looking for work. They responded to my post, or I responded to theirs. There's no connection already. They might be good. They might be terrible. Who knows? But my my Sherwin Williams rep, shout out to Brandon, uh, he screens that out for me. He's only going to refer crews to me that he thinks will be able to meet my standards of professionalism and quality. So that's that's the that's the one thing. Um, outside of that within that painting contractors Facebook group, there are always people looking for work. There are always people saying, hey, does anyone have any work in this local area, This that local area? And when someone posts, hey, I'm looking for subcontractors in this local area, that local area, people always respond. There's always opportunities in there. When that opportunity presents itself, you have to be ready to respond uh, quickly, right? So you gotta be monitoring for those, uh, for those opportunities. You gotta be very communicative with um, with the potential subs that you're you're reaching out to, but most importantly, you just can't be full of shit. You gotta follow through on the things that you say you're going to do, which is why when when I schedule a time to meet with one of these subcontractors, I put it in my calendar right away. And if something's in my calendar, it's locked in. I'm never gonna forget. I'm gonna be there. I'm not gonna waste their time, you know, chit chatting when they, they probably left a job site to come visit me for 30 minutes to meet about potentially working together. I'm not wasting their time. Um, I'm, I'm giving them the vital information that they need. I'm getting the information I need to decide uh, whether I want to move forward and give them the opportunity whether to decide whether they want to move forward. And then probably the most important step is once you decide, you know what, this guy seems legit. I want to give him a shot on one of my jobs. That first experience has to be a home run for the subcontractor crew. Meaning, it has to be profitable. You cannot give them a job that they're going to be making fifteen bucks an hour on. They it needs to be home run. They have to make money, uh, and you ha- you have to pay them right away. If you if you bone it, if if that first opportunity to impress that subcontractor crew goes poorly in some regard, the the scheduling's bad, the pay is low, the pay is slow, whatever it whatever it is. If you drop the ball, now you've become Every other contractor that they've ever worked with, right? Yeah. You have one opportunity to establish a first impression, and if you blow it, they're done. Now, that's not to say that every job after that isn't equally as important. You know, we continually, we continually love on these guys. We make sure that they are making more money than they would make working on their own. We make sure they're paid on time every single time. Um, but that that first impression lasts a long time. And so I want to establish my credibility with them and my reliability with them right away. So look for the opportunities. And I know that, um, the guys like Skylar Stewart have had a lot of success finding subcontractors through uh, Craigslist. And guess what? Skylar sent me all of his Craig, Craigslist ad copy so that when I'm ready to post on Craigslist, uh, towards the end of the winter, I'm just going to basically copy what he said in Pittsburgh and, and post it here in Detroit. Uh, there's, there's a lot of avenues to try to find those subcontractors. Um, but I guess the last thing to add here is that subcontractors are only going to work with you if you can afford to actually pay them well. And if you're, if you're the lowest, if you're the lowest estimate on your, when you make your sales, there's not going to be any margin for that there for you to make any money and also get a subcontractor to do it. Uh, you know, I, I, I price my jobs quite high. I sell the experience, not the quality of our jobs. I I sell on the professionalism and the the customer service and as a result I can charge more for a job than most companies can which then also means I can pay my subs more than they would make anywhere else. So, you know, why would they why would they leave? If if they're making more money with me, they're getting paid right away, I'm keeping them busy and making their lives easy, then they're going to continue to work for me. And I think that's that's a hard that's a hard nut for a lot of painting companies to crack. Uh, you know, obviously Paris has done it better than anyone. He's got something like 150 uh, subcontracted painters that he, that he keeps busy. I'm at like 25 to 30 on a good week. Uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not easy, but it certainly can be done. And it could allow you, if you're good at sales and good at marketing and have some money to invest, it could allow you to scale very, very quickly as I've shown.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. And then, so I I do have one follow-up question when you initially interact with these subcontractor crews and you don't know them at all and you go meet with them, what are you kind of looking for to decide whether or not you want to start that first project together?
2: Uh, the first thing I do is when we schedule a time to meet, I don't remind them. I put it in my calendar and I show up and if they show up, that's a good sign. That means that they are at least somewhat reliable, right? Uh, Outside of that, you know, a lot of guys like to show me before and after pictures of jobs they've done, which is totally meaningless to me. Uh, it's like when if you were if you were being interviewed for a job and they require you to provide some references, I never understood that because you're only going to give them references for people that know and like you and are going to vouch for you, right? They're not going to have the opportunity to speak to people that you you screwed over or you you didn't follow through on what you said you were going to do. So before and after pictures are, are worthless if. If I get a sense that they are good, good people, if I sense that they are reliable and are going to show up and do what they say they're going to do, then I will give I'll give them a chance. Now we operate with a, a full time project manager, so the project manager is going to be there to kick the job off, do quality control, oversee the first couple projects while while it's uh, while when they're first starting. So we are we are managing some of that uh, a lot of that when we kick it off. But if honestly if a guy just seems like he's reliable and I'm willing to give him a shot and we can tell right away whether they're going to be a good fit or not, you know, if their quality is really, really bad, then I'll you know say, Hey, listen, man, I don't, I don't know. This is going to be the right fit for us. Or if they're, if they, if they don't show up for the first day of work, that's, that's a a no brainer for me. They're done.
1: Sure. Okay. So you, you're kind of feeling them out right now, making sure that they show Mm -hmm. up, they remember the appointments there. And then you're essentially getting a feel for who they are as a person Mm -hmm. and whether or not you feel that you can depend on them. And then you still have some sort of quality control in place there because you have a project manager that's largely going to manage them and make sure things are running smoothly. And you probably have, you know, if things aren't running smoothly, you're going to sub in another crew and get that taken care of.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Okay. Perfect. Now on to number three. So that was number one developing the the uh, network of painters, in this case, subcontractors. Mm-hmm. Number two, your network of contractor friends and really just getting out of your own way, um, networking within the industry, joining the PCA and, and being willing to collaborate. Uh, mm-hmm. Number three, this might be the toughest because this mm-hmm. is really about you, right? And so if, if other people aren't like this, how do they get around that? That entrepreneurial, being good at sales and marketing, being organized, holding mm-hmm. people accountable. How do you, How do people learn that or how do people accomplish that?
2: well you can learn it or you can uh farm it out you know there's there's some guys that own painting companies that are phenomenal painters and maybe they're phenomenal project managers uh they're they might be an ideal um operations manager something like that uh, but they don't have sales skills okay well then find someone who does and pay that person to be your salesperson um you you most guys are not going to have the experience in marketing that i have right i I mean, you and I have had so many conversations about marketing. I understand marketing as well as many people that work at marketing agencies. Um, but even I didn't try to do the marketing by myself. Yeah. I hire people to do the marketing because my uh, you know my skill set and and where I'm going to generate revenue for the business is not around running marketing campaigns. so there there are some people like like myself that could launch a company. On their own or scale a company on their own. Uh, I would say most people need to find some sort of strategic partners. that that might be an actual official partnership within their business, or it might be just hiring employees to do some tasks for you. Uh, I'm not a great project manager. I'm not like the most organized. And so when I launched, I knew it had to be me and a project manager. Now, I was fortunate that my wife has that skill set, and she was willing to, you know, come out of quote unquote retirement for, for six months to help me launch. And so, but it was, it was the two of us. I could not have done what I've done without having that second person. Um, I could have done it with someone that wasn't Rachel, but we wouldn't have scaled as quickly because she was, she's so good at it. Um, And also she was the cheapest labor I would ever possibly get. Right. I I didn't have to pay her. So cheat, cheat code, have your wife work for it. Don't pay her. Nice, nice cheat code. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think the, I think we all have different skills that are going to be beneficial to launching a painting business like I did. You know, I don't think you need to have the exact same skill set I had. My skill set is is geared towards entrepreneurism. Um and so I may have an unfair advantage in that regard. But if someone is self-aware enough to know that they don't have the skill set that I have or a skill set like Jason Paris has, if they can be self-aware and realize that and if they can be willing to sacrifice some money, to, to or maybe some equity in their company to to partner with someone that has that skill set. There's no reason why they couldn't do what I've done. Um, they just need to have a partner to do it. True.
1: So figure out what they what they feel that they are really confident and comfortable in, and then the other components of the business that they need. Um, mm-hmm. Either officially partner with someone in terms of giving them a, a portion of the company, hire mm-hmm. them as an employee, or outsource it to external marketing agency or, or you know, right. something like that, that essentially. Right. And to
2: be clear, you know, I said, I, I could have launched the company with someone that wasn't Rachel. Rachel could have launched the company with someone that wasn't me. That's a great- all she would do is find someone that had, that is good at sales and likes sales and wants to manage the marketing strategy uh, and, and likes recruiting subcontractors. Right. And then she can handle all of the back end, all the organizational stuff. And then basically just someone to go out and do the estimates and find crews
1: yeah man, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that was number three, the entrepreneurial skill set that you brought in and and you didn't even bring it all in. you already mm-hmm. you, you found a way to to fill those gaps mm-hmm. that you have there. um but you're also self-aware to know and you know what the company needed and and the gaps that needed to be filled. I find a lot of painting painting company owners, they kind of think they can do it all or or want to do it all, but you need to know where where you're not doing it well because it might be shooting you might be shooting yourself in the foot. Um, Number four, you had said, and and I don't know whether this is going to expand on what we just said, or it might just be essentially the same thing, but we said time time or money investing Mm -hmm. into the the business. What did you mean by that?
2: Well, we all have time, right? If if this is your full-time gig and you're trying to launch a business, then you have time. Uh, That time can be spent though on delivering door hangers. Or, the money can be spent to hire someone to deliver door hangers. Your time can be spent in developing and implementing marketing strategy, or your time can be spent to hire someone to do that for you. Uh, but here here's a here's the real deal, Brandon. when we we had, as I mentioned, we had about two hundred thousand dollars cash to uh, to launch even so, my wife and I are like, oh, is this going to be enough? You know, are we going to need more than this for our first year. So we talked to my father-in-law and said, hey, I think we're going to have enough money. But if we don't, like, you know, could you help us out? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course. If you guys are in in a pinch, you know, I can help. You won't let you so, be homeless. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that that made us feel more confident. Well, the reality is we launched and we put $80,000 in our business bank account. And we dipped to about 60,000 before we rebounded. And it's been climbing steadily ever since. So I could have launched Ellison painting, not with $200,000, but I could have launched it with $20,000 and still gotten the exact same return and seen the exact same growth. Cause I didn't use $200,000 to launch it. Yeah. Right. I had it. I used $20,000. Yeah. Uh, so the, the amount of money that's needed to launch and scale like we've done is actually not that substantial. And, I, and that's not to be dismissive. I know that $20,000 to a lot of people, especially within our industry, is, is a lot of money. And if they had an extra $20,000, maybe they'd be able to breathe and relax and think about scaling. Sure. But twenty thousand dollars, Brandon, also is not that hard to come by if you have if you have a viable business model and a viable business idea. If if any painter that's working by himself, or maybe he's got him and a helper and they're they're thinking about scaling, if they were to reach out to me or Jason or, or Nick or Kuipers or whoever and or you or you know, any other marketing guru and said, Hey, can you help me come up with a plan to scale my business so that I can present it to someone that might want to invest? Uh, in the business to help me grow. I don't think it'd be hard to find someone who invests $20,000, especially when they see the types of numbers that companies like mine have done in their first six months. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of profit to be made and it's not that hard to find $20,000 if we're being real again, I don't want to be dismissive. I don't want it to sound like I'm some you know rich snob because I'm not rich, but $20,000 is not that much money.
1: Yeah. And that's uh that's one of the interesting things I and I think kind of antiquated things about the painting industry is is the more forward thinking, obviously painter marketing pros works with the more forward thinking and ambitious painting companies out there. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of hindrance or, or mindset block that a lot of companies have in terms of investing into their company, whether mm-hmm. that be through employees, partnerships, marketing, you name it, and they'll have these these goals of hey, I want to get to several million, five million, ten million. Mm-hmm. But but then it's like the the amount of money the capital and, and required to get there um relatively speaking is small but it's there's just this mental barrier where i think people mm-hmm. aren't really used to investing into painting businesses kind of not treating like a business
2: you are 100 correct but what's weird about that is they're seeing guys we see these guys everywhere you know we're they're friends of ours we know them we can see multi-millionaires within the painting yeah. industry so for that to be like a foreign concept or for someone to look at at what I've done or what some of our friends have done, other people across the country have done and say, "Eh, you know, it's no, that's not possible. You can't do that. You can't do that where I live. You can't do that, you know, in my market or whatever. It's weird that they could see all of this evidence that is not only possible, but it's, it's happening time and time and time again. Uh, And it's, it's easy to see the evidence is right there. Um, And so just to give you an idea, so we, we launched my first, my first sale was April 22nd okay. of this year. And uh, our goal was to do a million dollars in sales within our first uh, 12 months. Yeah. Well, right before our six month anniversary, we broke the $1 million revenue. And right now I think oh, we're hold, at-
1: hold, Brad, hold on. So you sold over a million dollars in your first six months as a company.
2: That's correct. And That's so I think right now I'm pulling up, I'm pulling up chip jobs right now to see what my year to date is. You know, we're entering slow season. So my sales are going to slow down through the end of the year. Uh, I am at $1,175,000 in sales since April 22nd. And today, so it's seven months, seven months tomorrow. Seven months. Wow. Yeah.
1: That is what is possible. And you started, you started with 200,000. You had that sort of security blanket, we'll say, but mm-hmm. you used 20,000
2: used twenty thousand dollars and just invested my time and convinced my wife to come work with me for six months.
1: Oh, and and the free labor, yes, A yeah, bit. yeah.
2: And but again, most importantly, I had all my friends as resources. Man, I cannot stress the importance of that enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? It's already been mm-hmm. invented. Just just borrow, stand on the shoulders of giants, borrow from yep. people who've come before you. Yep. Because they also borrow. That's the thing, and that's what people don't really understand. Right, Jason Paris, Jason Phillips—they've—they've they've come up with things, but a lot of those things are because they learned from people before them. We're all mm-hmm. borrowing and growing.
2: From <laughs> there him. are some people within our industry that are doing new and exciting things. Um, you know, Zach Kenny, out of out of, I think he's in Boston, right? He does really, really high-end finishes, like, like, like mirror finish finishes. That's new and that's exciting. Who's going to be Zach Kenny? No one, right? So. <laughs> who, who cares? It doesn't. I, I love seeing what Zach does. Zach's a friend of mine, and I'm I'm constantly in awe of what he does. I don't care what he, he's doing though. What I'm what I'm looking at is the people that are doing what I want to do. The the high production, um, the the big businesses, the high revenue, and those guys are not inventing anything special. They're implementing solid business systems that are applicable in any industry. And they're supplying it to the painting industry and applying it so well. And what what I think a lot of people don't understand within our industry is the opportunity to do that is very, very unique within the painting industry. The The barrier to entry, the barrier to start a painting company is so low that in some sense, that's a negative because you're going to be competing against guys that are going to be selling their services for 15 bucks an hour. Uh, but also the the standards from the customer's perspectives there is so low. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear on a daily basis, I called five different painting companies. You're the only one that responded. And not only are you the only one that responded, but you actually showed up when you said you were going to show up and you delivered the estimate when you said you were going to deliver it. And your painter showed up when they said they were going to. To me, these are not hard things to do. This, these are things that normal, healthy businesses do, but because we're in the painting industry and so many of my, you know, quote unquote competitors aren't doing these basic things, then the opportunity for a guy like me is crazy. It's like crazy, crazy high. And that's, I would say that's one of the very, very big reasons why I was, I've been able to scale so quickly. So if, if other painters that have been in the industry far longer than me, and maybe haven't seen, you know, my level of uh, financial success, uh, just change their mode of thinking, and started to operate like a real business rather than just being a guy that paints, they could very quickly scale. They could very quickly be making the type of money that they thought was never possible without having to work anymore. That's the that's the truth of it.
1: Yeah, man, I love that. So yeah, I, I do want to remind everyone that if you're listening to this, I mean this one especially, right? So we, we created this Facebook group um really to be able to dive deeper into any of these topics. But this one I think is gonna especially resonate with people because obviously this vision is. Is big, but mm. it's also something that you're actually doing in real time, right? So you're you're actually mm. doing it. It's not a pretend thing. It's not a fairy tale. You're literally doing it and you're telling people how to do it. But I know people listening are going to say, yeah, but X, Y, Z, or, you know, but I live here, but, but I've tried this, right? And so remember go into that Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum, tag Brad, mm. Brad will, well, we'll answer it. And we're, we're going to have Brad come on live in that group too and do a Q and A. Mm. Actually, I haven't said that to Brad yet. Tell him Brad now, but love it. I, yeah, he's going to come on and crush it. Cause I know that this, I really do think this is going to be one of the, one of the most popular series that we run um, this year. So Brad, do you have anything else that, that you want to elaborate on touch on before we wrap up this first episode?
2: No, I mean, I think the last thing I might just say is, you know, I had these, I, these reasons why I couldn't leave. I had these reasons why I could leave and I had these limiting beliefs and I had these beliefs in myself. Ultimately it comes down to you, 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 ha- you just have to make a decision. And it was a very, very difficult decision for us, but I had to make the decision. And I think that's a, a limiting factor for a lot of people in any industry or any business owner in any industry is they're, they're afraid of the other side of that decision. And so they never make the decision and they never hire those extra employees and they never spend more money in marketing. They never change their strategies because what they're doing up to that point you know is working, you know, it's quote unquote working, quote unquote working. Yep. but ultimately you got to make the decision and not making a decision is a decision in and of itself. And if you continue to not make a decision, you, nothing is ever going to change for you. So it was hard. It was, it still is hard to think about. Um, it's, was definitely the right decision for us. Uh, it's right decision for my family and um, it's right decision for the people that are working for us. Cause it's allowing me to really bless these guys um, in a very similar way to how they're blessing me. So,
1: well, thank you, Brad. This was an incredible yeah. first episode and your second episode, we will be talking about what it looks like to launch a highly professionalized painting company from scratch titled uh, rocket man. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that one. And thanks for your time, man.
2: Appreciate you, Brandon, as always.
1: Thanks brother. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com, and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing.